Hello and welcome to the Canadian Wargamer Podcast. Yes, it's the Canadian Wargamer podcast featuring two affable and youngish granddads, Mike and James, talking about primarily miniature wargames and the occasional hex and counter excursion from Mike from our unique perspective in the Great White North. And as the strains of La Foy d'Arabla die away, here are your hosts, Mike and James. Hey, James, how are you doing? All right, how are you? Not too bad, not too bad. Thank you. It's a, a blizzardy night here in uh, is. the studio. We've got uh, two or three days of snow coming in. And, good to stay in and paint. Uh, yeah, good to stay in and paint for sure. So we've got lots of firewood and I've got lots of paint water to sip, so I'm good. Um, yeah, I hear it. I hear it keeps the COVID away. Oh, is that what it is? Okay. Yeah, that's that's going to be my conspiracy theory. Drink paint water. Ah, well, yeah. then no gamer should get should get COVID. I think so. Yeah, James, quite excited. Here we are at episode eleven, and we have uh, we have a homegrown guest who is uh, actually not that far as the crow flies from either of us. Um, mm-hmm. So we're very very happy tonight to have uh, Joe Saunders as our guest. So let's bring him on. Joe, how are you? Oh, great, great. How are you guys? Good. Yeah, thanks for coming on the podcast, mate. Joe, just to introduce uh, you, you are the proprietor of uh, Miniature Landscape Hobbies, which is uh, a YouTube channel. That's and correct, yep. You have a long and interesting uh, gaming and modeling background that we're, uh, we're very happy to get in. So why don't you just introduce yourself and uh, you know maybe give us a short biography of you as a modeler and gamer, and then we'll get up to the present day and, and yak. Oh, sure thing. Yeah, that's great. Well, yeah, I'm um, Joe Saunders from Miniature Landscape Hobbies. Uh, I've been um, in the model wargaming community since, oh, well, since Rogue Trader, if you're if you're a 40K guy. So been at it for a long time, probably about 30 years. Um, I'm generally more fond of the, like, I like, I like wargaming. I love wargaming, but but I am definitely one of those people that sort of dwells on the artistic side of the of the hobby, particularly uh, terrain. Um, I uh, I guess like I got my start in wargaming, like a lot of people. Um, I was invited to role play with some uh, with some friends of the family and started playing Dungeons and Dragons. Um, started reading Dragon Magazine. Uh, and found out about this amazing thing called uh, Warhammer 40,000 at the time and Warhammer Fantasy. And uh, I was lucky enough, my family ran a little store. Well, it was actually fairly, ran a store in uh, downtown Collingwood at the time. And uh, our store was, in those days, stores were, even though it was an office supply store, it had a lot more of a general store kind of feel. And uh, so I put in my own gaming section when I was when I was maybe in like 14 or 15 years old. Oh, uh, that's ran, a dream. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was. Like, I, I couldn't complain. 
uh, ran a uh, ran a little gaming section out of my family business for uh, quite a few years. Went to university, um, so I had to give that up uh, oh. when I got back from uh, university. Didn't have much time for gaming during university, and and then yeah. uh, went to Waterloo, but kept in touch with with the with um, the war gaming scene, particularly on the, the GW side, and then. Uh, when I when um, I graduated I, and uh, got married, uh, I went back to playing uh, mainly Warhammer Forty Thousand. Uh, loved it, ate, breathed, slept. You know, um, it's particularly the artistic side, but but all of all of uh, all of Games Workshop gaming, and um, to the point where I, where I just couldn't afford to stay in the hobby to the to the level that I was uh, interested at the time with with the uh, with a young family and just married. But uh, then I found a program that Games Workshop had at the time called the Outriders. Um, yeah. And what it was is, is basically you would just volunteer and join game, like join into Games Workshop. They would send you to events, they'd send you to conventions to teach um, painting, terrain building, um, run tournaments, which really wasn't my thing, but you could run tournaments, you could run mega battles. And I was at it for many years, eight or nine years, probably um, met a lot of friends, um, was in and out of the Canadian Games Workshop HQ for quite a long time, went to all the Canadian Games Days, um, participated in them and, and and just just had an absolute riot. I'm still in touch with uh, like that would be or 20 years ago i'm still in touch with most of the guys in the group on and off in one capacity or another uh and it was there for a while and then uh one canadian games day uh we walked in and there were um um american executives games workshop executives uh everywhere and uh, i turned to the guy who was traveling with me and i said oh crap that's it and uh, that night, they uh, made an announcement that that uh, the Canadian Games Workshop uh, division was being closed and amalgamated the U.S. Um, yeah, I remember the, that. U, the, yeah, the U.S. division was going to take care of us, so it was okay. You know, all the Grey Knights and, and well, Outriders. Some we were called Grey Knights by then, but all the same thing. They're going to take care of us, and and, and um, the state of the hobby would never be better. And we never heard from them. So. Um, I gave up. <laughs> that games day was the last time I picked up a paintbrush to paint a games workshop model. In fact, um, I had other mind you, I had other stuff going on at the time, business and, and family and stuff. Yeah. So I was off game, gaming for twelve years or so until yeah. my sons were old enough to come back, and uh, I decided I was going to build them a, a games table to play um, tanks. You know, like the the entry level Flames of War. And um, when I picked up the paintbrush to refurbish one of my old tables to get it ready for them, I just simply never put the paintbrush down. I just, it was like coming home, the, all the artistic juices got flowing and, and then miniature landscape hobbies was the natural progression from there. Mm -hmm. So I hope that's not too, too long-winded. <laughs> no, no, I, we're here to talk about you. Yeah. yeah. We're bored about talking about us. We can talk about us all the time. <laughs> well, I <laughs> I will listen to three or four of the episodes, uh, three or four of the podcast episodes. So I'm quite happy to hear about you guys. <laughs> oh, well, you know, we are fascinating. <laughs> well, you, you are very fascinating and, and, and champion, 
championing the cause in, in uh, Canadian wargaming, which, uh, which is, of course, uh, um, you know, excellent. So we need, so, we need, as far as we know, we we're, need, the we're, we're, we're all hiding in our, in our, in our log cabins and beaver lodges out in the woods. And we don't know where each other are. So that's why we have to do this. In the woods. Well, that's, that, in snow. that's the case. That's the case. So you guys actually aren't living too far from, from where I am. And I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't yeah. aware of that. I've been listening no. to the podcast for a while. I was listening to one of the episodes last night, I think. And, and, um, and one of you guys mentioned Barry and I'm like, what? Oh, that's, that's yeah. like a 10 minute, uh, 20 minutes from here. So. Yeah, James and I have known each other uh, for a long, long time, and uh, oh, James has stayed. James has stayed fixed in Stratford, and I've kind of orbited uh, like a comet. I've I've come close, and then I moved out to other parts of the country when I was in the army. Um, so we're we're pretty close. We we could be closer, but uh, Joe, I wanted to ask you just going back to uh, do, do you have a, like an arts background? Because you've you've mentioned a couple of times that you're uh, you have an artistic side, and I've noticed listening to you that you you talk and think like an artist, like you understand shapes, you understand materials. Is that all self-taught or did you have some arts training? Uh, I learned that by osmosis. I had, I had no, uh, no other option. My wife is a graduate of fine arts. So, oh. so, um, my, my personal background is all, uh, all social science. So, um, I never really took art uh, in any meaningful way. Didn't take any art classes at high school or anything of the sort. Just just learned it from what I've read and picked up and studied on the on the side. And uh, um, my father is a pretty accomplished artist. He's uh, he, he uh, ran the uh, arts co uh, op or was on the board of directors of the arts co op here in Collingwood for many, many years. And he's, um, an ac acrylic and watercolor painter. So oh. I'm surrounded by artists. I, I I'm just very lucky that way to have no, no shortage of, um, inspiration on the other side of, uh, on the other side of the curtain here, the reason why I've got the, 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 you know, the ugly orange tarp or now these curtains that don't match is that on the other side is my wife's studio and my wife, um, uh, makes pottery. So, oh. uh, far more, Far more prolific than than uh, I am with miniature landscape hobby, hobbies, even with 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 pottery. But uh, uh, you know, it's just it's art central over here. My my sons have a just this way that my sons have a, a Lego spread that's probably like a, a Lego town that they've been building for many years. It's uh, probably oh, tw uh, twenty feet worth of table space. So <laughs> yeah, lots lots of lots of art, lots of creating. It sounds it sounds amazing. Yeah. And, you know, and certainly, you know, when you're talking about where you, when you started with 40K, like back in Rogue Trader, and like, I'm not, I'm not a huge fantasy guy. Like I, I resisted 40K, but I remember reading, you know, a friend of mine subscribed to White Dwarf and I would borrow the magazine every month and read it faithfully because <laughs> it was just so inspiring. Yes. Yeah. You know, like just the, all the, all the great, like back then, Games Workshop really inspired a lot of creativity. Which it, yeah, it, it was to me. To me, it was the golden. It was the golden age. Like yeah. uh, I was, I was pretty fortunate. The 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 um, just the enthusiasm and love for the hobby. Um, 
you know, like you, you make a beautiful hobby and, and everything, all the other parts fall into p place, right? The business takes care of itself. Now, I don't know. I don't, I don't really think that's true, but that was the philosophy in those days. And, um, and it really was, it, it really was a great time to be a, just a creator. Um, I can remember having, having boxes of supplies show up on my doorstep sent over from different people over at GW Canada because they heard I was building X, you know, like whatever. I was building a cathedral or something at the time. And JP over there, he just he just sent me a box of resin bits to 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 do the to do the work because they just, you know, they thought it was interesting. The community was was tight knit, but it was but it was good. I mean it, it was it was um it was a wonderful group of people to be involved with. Um, yeah. It doesn't exist anymore. So yeah. I don't really, you know, I don't really, you could get into a lot of the GW set, you know, sessions where people are bad mouthing GW or, or, you know, speaking negatively about it. And, you know, like it's a, it's probably not fair because it, it's, it's a business It's designed like a business and that, you know, it is a business and, and yeah. that's the way it works. But I was fortunate enough to be, to be around in the, in the, I don't know, like the honeymoon period, I suppose for the, like mm. for the mindset where it was all, all growth and all, all creativity. And I mean, like, um, I, I was surrounded by golden demon winners, um, and uh, people that were that were producing the traveling terrain spreads for uh, GW, I helped out a little bit with some of it, and it was just you know it was you couldn't you couldn't not you couldn't not learn to be you know like pick up on the on the creative energy. Some of so your, uh, some of your terrain might have been at hot lead for because a couple of years we had um, Games Workshop Canada because I was friends with the president at the time um mm -hmm. he ran like he he brought some people down and ran 40k tournaments for a couple of years okay. until so that was yeah, so, until, yeah that, until the plug got pulled yeah yeah so yeah so, so some of that stuff i may have helped out with um i ended up painting a lot of little goblin creatures coming into ogre ogre kingdoms <laughs> okay <laughs> i mean um, trying to think of some of the stuff I did. I, I made some buildings for them. I made a like a tall ship kind of boat. That was a really fun project, actually. Mm. So, so there were some 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 really really neat projects. And then in there, I met like um, James Craig, Jason Dyer, Jim Smith. Like um, James Craig is the head judge of the Crystal Brush. So, um, so you know, like there was some some phenomenal phenomenal people in there to to really um boost your uh boost your 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 hobby skills and your inspiration and i still care you know i still carry it around with me i can't i can't talk highly enough about that that period and 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 what those people did for the the hobby of miniature gaming when i when i was when gw canada kind of evaporated and and uh i uh, had a decade of art, artist, like artist block, right? Where, where I just simply couldn't pick up a paintbrush. Um, and, and I, I like trucked around and did, you know, other hobbies and stuff. It just, it just, it was never, it was never the same, but I always still look back really, really fondly on, 
on that. And then when I started, when I picked up wargaming again, maybe five, six years ago, um, it just all came, you know, crashing back. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a really healthy way to view it, Joe. I, I mean, we've talked on this show in past on our podcast about games workshop, love them or hate them. I, I mean, the fact is it, it is what it is and it has an amazing legacy. And we talked, uh, couple of episodes back with you know gamers in their 30s who've come into what we would call the hobby that that we love you know historical miniatures gaming in part through games workshop right and uh it so you know their value today as a gateway is is huge and what they, do, what they do on their own is i mean you have to admire them for making a, a viable profitable business out of it and you know there's lots of there's lots of people who are imitating them in their own and at their own scales, you know, like warlord games or whatever. So they are what they are. And it sounds like you you just you just have a, a, a huge sort of personal legacy that you took from those years. Yeah, I mean, it was it was pretty it was pretty influential for for um, well, everybody I know that was involved in the group, actually, like I said, we're all still the Grey Knights or Outriders. Um, we're most of us are still talking and and uh, in some of us more limited than others on friendly terms a lot of us don't game anymore so some of us do but there's still a wealth of knowledge there and then of course like like as you're saying like a lot of people the gateway drug so that there's there's a, a flames of war t34 sitting beside me and my you know i got i got french dragoons right there three feet to my three feet to my left so so i, I like uh I, when I walked away from from um, the sci-fi side, you know, uh, I, I, I went went pretty heavily into uh, went pretty heavily into historicals. So one of the things I like about historicals, of course, is that a Sherman tank today is a Sherman tank tomorrow, and is a Sherman tank next week. So there won't yeah. be some new hotness that's, you know, an eight foot tall kit that has you know laser cannons that didn't exist last uh, edition. <laughs> <laughs> Causing, causing power creep and, and making your uh, making all your your hard-earned efforts useless. On the, yeah. And on the and, a Sherman, and a Sherman tank is a Sherman tank, no matter which set of rules you play. Exactly, right? like in in, in um, you know flames in flames uh, edition five, um, a Sherman tank will still you know my Sherman tanks will still look right. <laughs> so yeah. still, unless unless you know history gets rewritten somehow so yeah. so yeah and, and of course um historicals the, the thing about historicals too is that um it, it creates a better context for the art of building in miniature uh -huh. so um not to say like i'm not knocking sci-fi or fantasy where you can like let your imagination run wild it's great to do those projects but um, when you're like me now and you sort of dwell at the intersection of, of um, the games side and the, hey, hey, everybody, take a look. This is the art side. Right. When you're building stuff that when you're building stuff, the casual observer can can um, appreciate or, or, or wrap their head around what it is, then then, you know, it, it puts it puts your creation in context mm -hmm. and uh, um I think that's pretty. I think that's pretty important for bringing um, bringing people into the hobby that want to approach it from a 
more of a, a mature um, point of view. I don't, you know, I don't know how to how to say it. Like, you know, people, there's nothing wrong with robots, giant robots on the battlefield. I, I, you know, the, I'm a big fan of giant robots on the battlefield. But for your average person, they don't know what a giant robot is, but they know what a, you know, they know what a, they know what a Sherman tank is. They know what a, a Tiger tank is. They know what a, you know, the red coats and the blue coats. So. Yeah. Yeah. And you can go down the mecha rabbit hole and hear people have, you know, fascinating discussions about, you know, mecha things that I don't understand. Uh, so there's, you know, giant robots have their own allure and their own lore and their backstories and their own, you know, competing franchises. And that's fine. I get it. Um, but yeah, you're, you're right about how the, the you can come back to, you know, Napoleonics or World War Two or whatever, and, and you've got a more or less a kind of common language, right? And a yeah, yeah. I mean, I yeah. Sometimes the the problem with like um, fantasy or sci-fi is you have to buy the fluff, right? Otherwise, yes. you get into well, what do you mean you've got ten giant robots or a dragon or whatever? Like you can't. At least with historicals, you can always pull out a history book and get look. Okay, they didn't have king tigers when they invaded Poland, so no, you can't bring king tigers on into this game. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that reminds me, my, my, my son. So Mitchell, would, it would be a couple of years ago, I probably would have been 14, was at a, um, his school went on a field trip to, his school went on a field trip to the, uh, I don't know, museum somewhere. And they were showing them a film of World War Two, And it was about, it was about um, like uh, the start of Operation Barbarossa. And, um, they cut to a film of they cut to a film of a panther driving by, and my son waited till the video ended and went to the to the person curating that portion of the museum and ripped the shit out of him. So good for him. That's you've, my boy. You've raised Mitch well. Good for you, Joe. You've raised him well. Yeah, that was you know I, I, that was. It, that was uh, that was uh, yeah, I should say that I was uh, I was proud not proud but proud at the time for sure oh for yeah. Sure. yeah yeah sloppy yeah. video editing is terrible yeah <laughs> yeah well I mean people don't people don't um, you know people don't dwell on those those nuances maybe they in, in that case that's real history so maybe they should but yeah. uh, um, but you know, they like that they, they don't, and um, worker gamers do. It's part part and parcel of the hobby, and and uh, and of course he 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 had uh, you know he knew that from from the from what he had studied. There's an interesting thing about uh, an, an interesting thing about um, historicals that that I would recommend to people that were you know like sitting on the fence as to whether or not they were getting into historicals, maybe from the GW route or for, from playing War Machine or, or other fantasy games, LOTR or whatever, um, is that when you come over to um, to play some historicals, the fluff background is infinite, you know, <laughs> because, and, and it's everywhere because it's real history, right? It's real history. So, yeah. so you know, want to learn about the, you want to paint some tiger tanks, <laughs> you know, like you can go on YouTube and, and, or find any amount of free resources. You'll, you'll never run out of depth on the matter. I'm trying to wrap my head around Napoleonic's color schemes right now. 
Um, mm, my, your, my, yeah. yeah, I it mean, my worry hole. with, yeah, exactly. But my worry with, with, with the hobby, with my worry with my hobbies is that the well isn't deep enough, that there's a bottom to the well. Like at some point in time, you'll know, you'll know everything there is to know, or you'll, you'll have mastered every technique that you're going to need to master. And, and it's, you know, it's impossible, but, but, you know, you want something that just keeps going and going and going like, Oh, look, I learned about, you know, I, I learned about how to paint um, terrain or, or um, models in, in enamels. Oh, that's great. Oh, but on the other side of enamels, there's oils, you know, oh, now I got to learn how to use oils. And then, you know, so, uh, so on and so forth. You want one of those hobbies, you know, where you're always discovering and, and, and learning. Yeah. That's sort of, sort of my mission statement with miniature landscape hobbies. When I started, it was, um, if you look at all the different aspects of building a miniature, like I happen to be a war gamer, but, but, you know, like I love a, a good train spread as much as anybody else. Heck, I mean, I'm fascinated by dollhouses. Um, you know, there's just so much out there in terms of skills and, and ideas that you can you can like cross pollinate in and out of the hobby. Oh yeah, um, yeah. And, and and so when I started miniature landscape hobbies, the plan was to look around and, and borrow from borrow from these other disciplines of building a miniature and blurring the lines. Um, and I figured that I would be able to take my knowledge within war, war gaming and terrain building and, and share it elsewhere too. And every time I end up in a discussion with somebody over something I'm doing on the channel and I find out that they're from outside of the, uh, they're from outside of the war gaming community, I get really, really excited about it. You know, they find out, they find out, you know, somebody that's, um, I had a lady contact me, um, well be a couple maybe about a month ago a little more than a month ago i actually did a video and i got her permission she was trying to build a diorama on the top of her um on the top of a bookcase in her house and she had all the supplies for the diorama most of it was was store-bought stuff and she had made some of it herself and she was doing an excellent job she was she was new to it but she was doing an excellent job the thing was that she had nothing to put in the corner in the back corner in the line of sight and so it was just plain wall and it was it was mm. no good it was it was messing up her, her diorama so she wanted something that could go in that space but it was like like specific kind of wedge shape and uh so she couldn't build it herself so she she contacted me for a commission and gave me the dimensions of the space eventually i ended up building a like a a triangular hill and the way the perspective of what she was building went is like it kind of started gradual, but then it got steep. So it created an, an impression of being more like in the distance. And she sent me pictures of it since then. And, and it, it looks, it looks great, but I mean, it looks really good. Uh, I'm really happy that her diorama is turning out so well. She's really, really pleased with it. And now I've got a good friend, you know, I can trade, uh, I can trade, um, I can trade model building ideas with all day long, but I built that for her using like she was using techniques like you'd use to build um like a Christmas village. Right. Or it wasn't a Christmas, it wasn't wasn't a snow scene, but but like but that sort of stuff. And I built her the hills using, you know, like stacked styrofoam technique, like you know, right. miniature gears have been using since 
before Rogue Trader. And uh, um, we got to combine the, the, the two the two different skill sets. So. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's great. And it's always the problem making, you know, making dynamic, exciting terrain that's still playable. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, you have that. Yeah, you have that, too. Um, I just completed. I just completed. So for the North Africa launch, for the North Africa launch, I just completed. So and I know this is a podcast. <laughs> I'm holding up models in the background, but I looks great, folks. Trust us, it looks it, great. It's a lovely little walled field with a camel. Yeah, yeah. So, so this is so you know I'm preparing something for the for the product launch for North Africa, and we'll have videos on this. But but you know I've got to do something interesting that tells a story, but it also has to have enough space in it to fit the models. Yeah. So when you're designing when you're designing a piece of terrain. You need to be mindful of what's going, you know, on the terrain or how the game is going to interact with the terrain, um, and uh, and that's just that's just this part of it. Yeah, and I'm I'm fascinated with the ideas of dioramas. So when I build terrain, I I try to I try to make it more than just a utilitarian piece of wargaming terrain. I also try to make it, you know, tell a, tell a story or have a position in time and space. Mm-hmm. So I, I I don't know if you're uh, familiar with um, Ken Riley. He has a uh, he's a Brit and he has a podcast called uh, the Yorkshire Gamer. But one of the things that he asks people is um, he has this thing called the Venn diagram of wargaming. And um, mm-hmm. I guess you know in your case, one of the things that I'm curious about is obviously uh, Joe. You're super motivated by the artistic side. Um, you're. Wh- you, you also describe yourself as a, as a gamer. Um, and I, I think Ken would add a third category to that, which would be, you know, are you a painter, art, artist, are you a, a gamer, or are you a collector? Uh, and, mm-hmm. you know, so there's, I guess all of us tend to fall in to some extent or other and, you know, more of those, more of us would be in one of those categories than the other, kind of like uh, Myers-Briggs or something like that. Are you more introverted? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So where where would you describe yourself? Like, what motivates you? Maybe besides the artistic side, or is that primarily what drives you? No, I lo- I love the game. I love the game. Uh, I, I I I you know, there's nothing like exercising your brain um, in a war game. You know, to to try to to try to um, to try to to you know marshal all, all of your resources in miniature you know, in a small scale and then, and then achieve a result, you know, within the context of a rule set, it's, 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 it's awesome. Plus it's, it's just so much fun to get together with, with people. I um, visited the competitive scene a few times and uh, um, did not like it uh, and didn't have much time for, it. I actually tried to, um, before I went back to model painting, my my sons and I tried uh, X-wing, um, the Fantasy Flight Star Wars system, because I figured it would appeal to yeah. them. And it was just it, it was all competitive. Like you really couldn't you really couldn't do a lot in it if you weren't if you weren't playing in a competitive format. I found anyways, at least people that I was meeting, and, yeah. and it wasn't for me. So I'd like like two thirds art, one third gaming is 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 great and telling a story telling a story and narrative through a war game is far more rewarding than trouncing an, uh, an a, a, a opposing player, mind mm-hmm. you. Um, you know, like 
you know, getting a getting briefly being able to to reach out and touch a period of history, even in, in an extremely superficial kind of way through a war game is is another rewarding aspect of it. Um, if you take that Venn diagram and, and, and you went on the collector side, I would have to say, but by default, I'm not a collector <laughs> because uh, if I did, then I wouldn't fit in my house. You know, uh, all my model collections would have, would have pushed me. My stuff I had from, from the GW days would have pushed me out the door a long time ago. Thank, thank God I'm not a hoarder because, uh, because uh, it, it wouldn't happen. And I do, you know, I do find myself, uh, well, you know, I, I build terrain, I guess there's no, you couldn't call it professionally, but I build terrain as maybe a semi-pro, you know, and, and uh, you build your, you build your babies and put your, your art into your, into your terrain or some of your models. I don't do a lot of um, model painting commissions, but I do terrain commissions and you send, you send them out the door. Uh, you just, you just couldn't, you just couldn't keep it. You just couldn't keep it. That's yeah. my Etsy store is my Etsy store is, is basically sitting on top of my game table over there. You know, next week, somebody's going to buy a hill or um, a bunker or something off the table and I'll take it off. And so, you know, um, inspirational hit and I'll buy a, I'll build, I'll build a, a newer one, you know, I'll build a newer one a month or two later. Hmm. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that, and I, I'd love to talk more about the Etsy store. Um, but I, I want just to ask you about how do, how can I put this without sounding crude? Um, <laughs> like, okay, I'll, I'll be blunt. In, in all of this, in all of your adventure, your 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 hobby history, uh, was there a day job that kept you going, or or like how much how much are you able how much are you able to support yourself by doing all this cool stuff? Not enough not even remotely um no no you need you need a you need like a day job so say i i owned that business when i came back from university i ended up owning that business where i ran that little game that little game um oh the uh, store. yeah yeah and uh, i owned it for uh i ran it um 20 some years and then i then um i sold it and uh um went and uh sold it became a marketing consultant so so i've been doing some uh primarily in uh real estate marketing marketing consultancy uh, and and so like you know that's my that's generally my nine to five now at the moment there is no uh well you guys are in barry so you'll know there right right now there is no um real estate uh game in the area because we're in an unprecedented uh, seller's market, people leaving the uh, COVID hotspots. And uh, so it leaves me with more time on my hands right now. So right now I have uh, a, a lot more time on my hands to, to concentrate on miniature landscape hobbies and, and, and work on it. But uh, I am actually kind of <laughs> looking forward to being able to, you know, being able to get back to putting uh, strategic plans together for branding and, and, and things, things like that, like real work. <laughs> right. Right. But, yeah, but I, I do, I do treat, I do treat my hobby as not everybody wants to do that. I do treat my hobby as, as my entrepreneurship. So, so I mean, as a, as a person that used to own businesses and, and, and develop businesses, um, I still have that, you know, I, I, I gave up being my own boss years ago, but, um, but I still have that itch to scratch. So, mm -hmm. so I scratch it through, you know, I scratch it through the hobby. So, yeah. Yeah. 
And that piece you were holding up, that desert piece, uh, a few minutes ago uh, as part of the North Africa launch, can you talk a bit about that? Because that's something you're doing um, in conjunction with Battlefront. Is that correct? Yeah. um, That was, boy, talk about, talk about, um, I don't know, just just sort of the right place, the right time, maybe a little bit. Um, uh, Battlefront a few years ago, uh, right on Facebook, asked for um, people that wanted to con- contribute uh, articles for writing. And um, at the time, I was at the time I was uh, needing to up my blog game for actually for a client I was working with, <laughs> and so so I thought, well, you know, I'll write some articles for Battlefront and 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 you know scrape off some rust, and I'll be able to write about some history and. And some gaming stuff, some stuff I love, and practice practice my blog writing skills at the same time. And uh, um, I, so I started started writing it, and um, I uh, did a couple articles for them on terrain because um, you know as I'm working on the basement, I might as well record it and send it to them. And they started putting them on their on their website. And Breakthrough Assault as well has a couple of my articles. And uh, they really, really just took off. Like I had people contacting me on Facebook. Are you the guy that built the the railway cannon? You know, the the one one hundred scale railway cannon from from foam cores. Like yeah. And then they started asking me questions. The interest started started passing on. And finally, one day, I'm having a discussion with um, Luke over at Games or sorry, <laughs> Luke over at the uh, over at Battlefront and. Um, there was a new release coming up and, and I was okay. Well, what do you want me to work on? And he's like terrain. Uh, I said, Oh, okay. Well, I'm happy to do terrain. I was hoping maybe I could get my hands on some new models. I could do, you know, like some new tanks or something I could do a painting demo on, but no, we want you to do terrain. And I said, okay, is it okay if I do it as a video then? And so then it turned into a, it turned into a partnership. And, uh, um, so now when they do their live launches, the terrain content is produced by miniature landscape hobbies. And, uh, um, you know, I, I get a, I get a, um, a look at the, uh, I get a, you know, I get a look at the early release, uh, um, stuff with the books and, and so forth mm-hmm. and, and, and a little bit of compensation in, in, in strictly hobby supplies, you know, to, uh, and, and it works great. It, it's a, it's a, it's a dream arrangement and, and I couldn't imagine a better crew of people to to work with. Um, the the people at Battlefront are just everyone I've met over there is a is just a, a, a saint. Just understands that the way to is the way to run a game is to feed the imagination of 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 you know the the hobbyist. And um, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean they're the, they're the, they're. Um terrain at their at their tournaments and stuff always looks amazing yeah oh yeah they they they, they really understand the um you know terrain and good looking armies work together yes you oh yeah. You, yeah like you can have the best looking army in the world and you put it on just crap terrain and it's going to look like junk you know, you, you've got to have you've got to have a good table too. They have that they have that idea dialed in, I think, um, pretty well, and they certainly they certainly respect it in terms of how they in terms of how they do their marketing, and yeah. you know, 
they they reach out so you know in my opinion they reach out so well to the to to the to us us gamers you know and it's nice to, to have a business that has a bit of a two-way conversation uh going on with its with its people and that's what that you know like my my well we just talked about it but my background with with um games workshop was that they you know like they cut off the conversation there was no conversation between between gw and and canada people in canada anymore it was just mm. here's our stuff you know and, and again like i don't want to some people love them some people hate them they are what they are but but um uh, flames um battlefront miniatures the way they run their business isn't like that at least not in my opinion so mm-hmm. I, I really appreciate it i've i've always gotten good service from from battlefront the, you know the, the pieces I've made from them. So. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, I feel sorry for the supply issues of the all up and down. Of course, it cuts across every industry right now. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, that's such a dilemma about um, you know the the amount of time that that like a, an individual hobbyist as opposed to somebody who's in a, a British style club has. And then it's I. Not, you will kill. Oh, sorry, there's my computer again. I'll edit that out. James hates my Swedish computer that tells the time on the hour in Swedish. It's a long story, um, but you know, like if you think of if you think of your three pots, right, of, of 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 available time, you've got miniatures painting, then you've got terrain modeling, and then you've got actually gaming, right? And I'm always struggling as to how much time and effort I have to put into each of those three pots. And I yeah, I totally get what James says, right? I can do an I can do a, a really nice army, but if I've got like an old blanket. You know, and maybe uh, with uh, some books underneath it to to be hills. Then, you know, unless you really dig that old school nineteen sixties Donald Featherstone wargaming vibe, um, that's not going to cut it, right? But then, you know, so do but do I invest my time in terrain, or do I find somebody like Joe with an Etsy store to buy really nice stuff from, so I can focus on the things that I'm good at, right? It's, it's yeah, always yeah. a struggle. Good balance, you know. Yeah. James, yeah. James does that well, I think. You know, it, it it is a balance. I always found that it's funny. I I always found that whenever I tried to compromise, um, it, it well on the terrain side, anyways. When I try to compromise, I'm not ha- happy with whatever I with whatever I do. So I never end up doing any project halfway. I always do it all the way. Yeah. So so um scheduling and scheduling and creating a timeline for my for my what i do is is at the core of of how how it works and having miniature landscape hobbies as a youtube channel and the live stream component and and when i want to get you know items in the etsy store is a really good motivator because it's like well tomorrow i've got tomorrow I've got a live stream and, and I asked my audience what they wanted and they wanted, they wanted to hear about how to sculpt styrofoam. So I'm like, Oh, okay. I don't have any like styrofoam blanks of any Hills. Usually I've got some styrofoam blanks around like of a partly built hill or whatever. So before I came on here with you guys, I was furiously, you know, I was furiously building naked styrofoam Hills. So I, I could demonstrate tomorrow, but you know, then, I've, so I had to build half a dozen hills. Well, you know that that that's 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 good to get me off my butt because you know I'll have half a dozen more hills than I had before. <laughs> so, so um, you know I, I'm always trying to set deadlines. Like this weekend, um, 
uh, Mitchell and I are supposed to, you know, getting ready to play Black Powder. Um, we're still both learning, uh, and uh, we weren't having um, terribly great luck with our games with just the one starter set we have because we didn't. I had some Calvary, didn't have any, and uh, so you know, create a dead deadline for this weekend. The Calvary needs to be ready. So, you know, and it's actually ready as of right now. I've got to varnish it. But um, so, you know, like we're always setting ourselves deadlines of what ha- what has to happen and then next and then next. Yeah. So. yeah. I want, maybe we could, this, that would be a good segue. Um, by the way, you almost ruined our family rating by holding up naked styrofoam to the camera. It's a good thing. This is just an... <laughs> I think I swore too. So, <laughs> okay. James does all the time. Um, I, this would be a good segue to talk about your YouTube channel, uh, Joe. Um, mm-hmm. How long? How long have you been working on it? Uh, how much? Uh, how much of your time and focus does it take? It sounds like it's kind of a driver to what you do right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's thirteen months old. Um, Fourteen months old. Uh, so, it would have been in December of last year uh not 2021 2020 i uh, um turned my camera on my games table in a and uh walked around it and i put it on i put it on youtube to to just satisfy some of the questions that i was getting about my terrain from the battlefront articles right and in those days i thought maybe i'd call it battlescapes but uh it changed and uh, um so then i just put it up to see what happened and uh i got a lot of interest in it so then um I, i'm a by day my day job trade is 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 as a brand uh, you know branding and marketing so i'm like oh maybe i'll build a brand around it and just see what happens and so i tested the waters and um picked up 100 subscribers in i don't know a very short amount of time uh and so I um, just kept vlogging it. And as I said, soon it was soon it was scratching my itch for both like doing the art. It was an excuse to up the ante in terms of my skills where I might settle. If it was just me ever looking at it, then my hills could be plain green lumps. But my viewers don't want to see plain green lumps. They want to see hills with camels and, and, and you know, nice trees and stuff. And and. So it, it was a way to sort of force my hand to uh, to improve my art. And um, again, when I started with um, Battlefront, I was trying to kill two birds with one stone by improving my blog writing skills. Well, I needed to develop some video editing skills for my my the real estate side of what I was doing. And uh, so again, I could you know I could I could kill two birds with one stone. Um, and you know, I'd work my work my nine to five or more like eight to four and then then put a couple hours into miniature landscape hobbies, you know, before dinner. And then after dinner, I would uh, paint and uh, um, work that way for a while. Now, I'm at the moment, as a saying, the real estate's uh, weird. So I'm between I'm between um, jobs at the moment. So I'm putting on the, you know, putting a lot of steam behind miniature landscape hobbies while I have the time to you know, when I put, you know, half a dozen episodes together and, and throw, throw them, you know, throw them in a, an external hard drive and have them wait until I'm ready to, ready to put them up. And I used to put them up. I used to do two a week and, uh, um, 
my initial plan was to do two a week, but it was pretty hard to keep up with that pace when life was getting in the way. Um, and uh, uh, so now I do one a week and then a live stream usually on Thursday, but I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to maybe change the frequency of the live stream just with some stuff that's going on with one of my sons going back and forth to school. But uh, um, that, you know, that that's, that's, that's how I'm, I'm running it now. And, and I'm just keep putting uh, square pegs into round holes until I find a, a pattern that works for the viewers. But uh, um, I've certainly cut off. I'm so happy with the number of people that, that have become loyal viewers. And that, I, I mean, I can't believe it that people like wait for my episodes to come out, you know, and, and, and are asking me when the ne next episode's coming out and, and wanting to, nice. wanting to talk to me about it. And, and I mean, I've even got, I've even got, um, I've got someone on Patreon, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, they, they, they really care. They really, they really are interested in the, you know, in, 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 in the stuff and, and, um, that in itself is pretty rewarding. So. Yeah. Well, I, I can understand without, you know, wanting to, you know, uh, you know, feed your ego, Joe, I, I just watching your latest live stream on terrain making, I learned a ton and I thought to myself, and I was watching it while I was on the, the elliptical machine, and I thought, you know, I need to sit down with a pen uh, and take notes like I'm in a lecture. Um, some of the stuff you were you were talking about, like I've been basing my terrain the same way for 15 years, and I wonder sometimes when I try to make a piece of terrain, you know, why does it bend like that? How can I fix that? And you answered a ton of questions, and I thought, geez, I need to take this really seriously and learn from it. So uh, you, you have well, I'm a, achieving my yeah. You're a gifted teacher. You, you're really good at explaining things, and you've got a ton of knowledge. It just totally shows. Well, my my, my night job is my night job is is I'm a martial arts instructor too. So oh. so I, I am used to I, I am used to. Uh, of course, can't do that right now because of COVID. The, all the reflexes and things are shut down. Well, hopefully it's opening up in, in March. But um, yeah. so. I, I like to teach, you know, I like, I find it rewarding to teach, but uh, um, you wouldn't need to, in, in your case, Mike, you would, you wouldn't need to like sit down and take notes and, and think of it. So formally we just wait until COVID lockdowns are done. And then you either come over here or I'll go over there and we'll, we'll collaborate <laughs> on some projects. <laughs> Since you're be... only embarrassed of all things. Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> Yeah. Tell me about the Etsy store. You mentioned on your live stream you were hoping to bring it to uh, Hot Lead, and we, we really devoutly hope that we'll see you there because it is oh, the, the trend with COVID here is looking better and better now. Looks like yeah. it's... Yeah. Well, I'm very excited. I want like, to know more about I used to, you know, back in the, in the GW days with Games Day, of course, I looked, I, I looked forward to the convention so much. So, so, you know, knowing that hot lead is coming up, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about that to, to sort of get back to it. Um, I, uh, there's no way I can't come and, and run a game. So you can count me in for that. Um, okay. on the, Et the Etsy side, it, it, the Etsy store kind of happened as a way to try to, um, actually just fuel miniature landscape hobbies, because as I'm building and building and building, yeah, I've got a let's say twelve or fourteen feet of 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 game table space in my house, and doing you know doing a terrain project, um, sometimes two terrain projects a week, 
it was causing a bit of an issue in terms of things, you know, me just getting squished out the door by terrain. So I opened up the store. Um, I had done the odd commission previously. Uh, so I just opened up the store to try to, um, to try to thin the <laughs> cold, cold the herd a little bit in terms of, in terms of the models that were there. And, uh, I haven't sold a lot, but, uh, um, I get a fair number of visitors and, and a lot of interest. And, uh, um, I'm of course not, there's no secret recipe to any of the terrain I build. If you point to something and say, how do you build that? In fact, that's what tomorrow night's, um, tomorrow night's uh, YouTube live cast is, uh, is actually about that. People wanting to know how I build my Rocky Hills. Um, I'll tell you, you know, like I'd rather, you know, I'd be just as happy for you to build it yourself, but for, um, for um hot lead i'll i'll pack up the store and bring it with me and i'll have you know i won't have a lot of stuff i'll probably have 30 or 40 decent pieces of of terrain that you know are i i tend to finish it to diorama quality but i'll have 30 or 40 pieces of terrain that i'll come with me bring with me and if if people are so inclined to um to you know pick some of that stuff up then then great they want to know how to build it themselves and then great yeah. Oh, yeah, it's exciting. Could all could almost just uh, we we've even had like you know instead of a game on the table, someone's just run a workshop, you know, building well, whatever, you know. Well, I could certainly do that. Um, if you'd rather do that than run a game, you know, that would be fine too. Well, well we, we we can talk about it. We yeah, can talk, I'll admit with me he'll kill me if we don't run at least a couple games but um but that might that might work for you guys and, and uh, um might work for you guys would certainly work for me because of the um because of the, the channel angle so so i mean of course I'm, uh, i i i kind of people always say oh you know what do you need for the convention it's like what whatever you as you know a game master or you know want to do is what mm -hmm. i'm interested in because you're gonna be enthusiastic you're gonna have an exciting game and there you go like i very rarely have to worry about you know oh my god this there's nothing in this period and if there isn't anything in a particular period then whatever like you know that, that's just the way it is this year well <laughs> what 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 mix of different types of systems do you get oh uh everything um that, i'd be worried you have like 80 percent warhammer so oh, no no um no if anything yeah. warhammer is kind of underrepresented uh mm -hmm. no it's 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 mostly uh like participation games it's every period every scale we have naval games we have air combat games oh, um you know everything from ancient games to science fiction there will be some napoleonic big battles napoleonic skirmishes good i want to see that because obviously like i'm still cutting my teeth on napoleonics so. yeah there's there's stuff from like you know we're gonna have like a, a um six millimeter battle aboard you know awesome yeah um and then we're gonna have some you know classic 28 millimeter napoleonics going on too so it's it's it, there'll be all sorts uh you know like people say we're a historical and it's like no we're not a historical only convention we're a miniature yeah. convention 
right? There's there's fantasy games, there's science fiction games. I've run science fiction games there myself. Um, I wrote a custom scenario for, um, I don't think it actually ever got used for Battlefront uh, a few years ago now, where um, the Hit the Beach box comes with that with that V1 rocket. They have a V1 oh, yeah, rocket. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I made a I made a launch site for for it for one um, for an article on their website and it got really really good um, got really good um, response. It was I built the whole launch site with the launch bunker and the ramp, the the launch rail for the rocket and I decided to I actually decided to put some ground crew down. I I put like a janitorial staff standing up behind the bunker. But as, as I put the, the, the models down, I'm like, how am I going to make these guys look like a janitorial staff? I'm going to have to build a mop for them. So like, I couldn't find a mop in 1-100 anywhere. So you know how hard it is to build a model of a mop in 1-100? <laughs> but yeah. anyways. Probably pretty hard to do it, do it convincingly. Yes. Yeah, it wasn't. It's not my finest work. But uh, uh, anyway, so, so I built that and I built so I built a um, scenario around that where you're trying to fuel the rocket and prepare it while the allies are attacking the site. So um, and I've got some custom terrain for it. So I, I was thinking I'd probably run that one day. Um, but, uh, um, you know, if that was of interest to you guys, um, I would definitely, however, do a uh, do a um, terrain building table. Just, you know, like we'll get some, we'll get some um, scraps of uh, half inch um, insulation foam or something and make some hills. Uh, we could do that sort of stuff. Um, put it right beside your, your Etsy, make a little L. Sure. There's your, your Etsy stuff on one table and you can just have the other table as a workbench and do workshops with whoever stops in. Yeah, that would be great. We'll do we'll do more planning yeah we'll do more planning as we get as it gets a little closer to i've got to start i got to start thinking about that i was of course hoping that um like my wife's a teacher so usually that's over march break right so so usually march break is the only time i can get away with the family this year we can't go anywhere so yeah. um oh. i've I, yeah i've had people complain about but it's just like there's no matter when I schedule oh. hot lead. I'm going to be like, it's March break or it it's cold wars or it's Adepticon. That's just life. You're yeah. running. Yeah. Or, or if I go later in the spring, I start running into the festival here in town and then no one can yeah. get a hotel room. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, yeah. I well, put it when I, it, when it's convenient for me. <laughs> it was a happy situation for me this year because, because um, we can't go anywhere and uh we can't go anywhere and uh, um so i go to stratford like you know it's a nice hotel yeah no bring I'll, the wife uh, she can go shopping it's uh, a nice hotel i might end up staying with my in-laws They're, they live in waterloo but we'll we'll see i kind of oh. want to i i, I kind of want to see if we can get a get stay at the hotel because um I want Mitch to see the uh, Miss Mitchell come down with me. I want Mitch to see how fun gaming conventions are. Yeah. So yeah. you know, just, just the fun of of sort of the the culture of it. So yeah, yeah the the Saturday like um, Friday nights pretty light and fun. Hmm. Um, some of the serious games start. Saturday night is 
generally a lot of very silly games mm-hmm. and the bar does a lot of business. You know, that's when people bring out the, the Western gunfight games. If I'm going to run my gangster game, I'll run it then. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, well, we have, you know, social distancing. So, but uh, my friend Dan, he always runs a um, game set in, you know, like uh, back of beyond Central Asia. And so it's all silly hats and, you know, a dozen people crowded around the table, all yelling at each other and throwing dice and, uh, it gets quite crazy, you know, so things like <laughs> that on a Saturday night, but yeah, crazy. who knows what this year will be like. Yeah, really. But you know, whatever, we'll make it work. Yeah. And then we kind of, you know, everybody's a little tired Sunday morning and it, it starts a little bit later, except for a few of the keeners, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember that from my, uh, from my games day days. So, yeah. But, oh, yeah. I can't wait. So we're we're yeah. getting close to um, we're getting close to wrapping up. Uh, I think you told us before we started that you you have to be you have to pick up your son because we get towards ten. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay. Twenty after. I, I wanted to ask you, Joe, about um, your sense of of being a Canadian gamer. Like in this podcast, we've just we've described. What is a Canadian war gamer? Is it just a gamer who happens to be a Canadian and lives in Canada, or is it somebody with a a specific um, interest in some aspect of Canadian history, or is there some way that is there something about Canadian wargaming that's unique? And and I in your case, like you're you're exposed to a, a pretty wide audience, right, through your work with Battlefront, and you're like people. I'm I'm guessing your YouTube channel is followed. You've got what a thousand subscribers now. Yeah, uh, just just around 1,200, I think. And wow. Yeah, I mean, very good. 25, 25% are from the U.S., 20-something yeah. are from the U.K. So still yeah. the majority of watchers are, are Canadian. I'm actually big in Cambodia. <laughs> <laughs> really? That's kind of an accident. I've got some friends and I've got some friends in Cambodia that... that um, a young man that I met a few years back who actually runs a, a, a barbecue duck stand in um, Phnom Penh. And I built his duck stand. I built his duck stand in, in uh, probably about one-tenth scale for for a video, just just for something to do. And he, he, he's a young, like he's an entrepreneur at heart, somebody kind of a kindred spirit kind of character that I met few years ago when i was when i was over there and uh um, so i built i built that now his his family and friends uh uh all watch quite quite seriously (laughs) at which i don't think any of them have ever played (laughs) a whole war game in their life but but uh but they watch so so uh, which i which i I totally totally appreciate but yes still probably i can't remember what the statistic is but but we still got probably more canadian viewers than anybody um but that's makes sense like you know us one thing that 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 defines the canadian gamer at least um the the historical is that we're Mm tight-knit because uh, you know that there isn't there aren't like giant hordes of us um because canada is not a you know not a big country and well not a not it's a big country but not not you know heavily populated and we're spread out over a wide area, so we, we we have to be, you know, we have to find each other. We have to stay stay 
tight knit. Um, and uh, Canadian war, war gamers in general, outside of certain circles, I find are just amazing people to know because because um, everybody's passionate about the hobby and wants to do what they can to help people grow. Like any skill that I offer up in terms of terrain building or painting, I want, I, you know, like, I don't want you to buy that from me. I want to, you, I want to give that to you to make your hobby experience so much better. And Canadian war gamers are the same, just more, mm. just more, you know, I find, I find, um, I mean, there certainly are people like that in, in other countries and other game circles, but I think because, I think because of how fledgling and, and small the group is, we we have to be very, um, you know, like we we have to be keen on keen on sharing and and, and keen on on spreading, you know, our our, our passions uh, over the over the hobby with each other, mm-hmm. um, and. You know, that's that there isn't a lot. I don't think there's a lot of a difference from, from a Canadian war gamer to a gamer in the UK. But but uh, um, every every Canadian war gamer that I do know is is intense in all the right kind of ways. Hmm. That's well said. I like that. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's I guess our our communal approach to things yeah is, uh, um yeah, yeah you know, and i hate and i hate to fall back on the you know stereotypical canadian niceness because god knows i've met a lot of ignorant canadians um, oh yeah <laughs> you know, but we feed them to the geese right? <laughs> <laughs> well i i don't you know like i, I it would be it would be catering to stereotypes to say to say that our that um, our culture helps foster that openness too. But but maybe you know maybe there's a certain degree of that. I have learned one thing from one of my viewers. I've got a loyal viewer who's been following me for a while, and he says the favorite his favorite part is my funny accent. Funny <laughs> <laughs> accent. So he's from the, He's from the southern U.S. and and so so I guess the Canadian accent to him is quite amusing. Yeah. So he, he he enjoys the he enjoys the um, miniature landscape hobbies on more levels than is typical because because he he enjoys miniature landscape hobbies for the for the learning experience uh, of you know maybe maybe learning about terrain and wargaming and then he also enjoys it for the comedic experience of hearing my funny accent apparently. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sounds good. Dora. Should then you should start listening to the Mike and I. Yeah. <laughs> well, do maybe he does. I don't. We're trying do to have the Bob and Doug McKenzie of of, of war gaming. <laughs> Joe, it's funny you should mention accents because um, you know it, it really something clicked when you said you uh, grew up in Collingwood. Uh, so my wife, my wife grew up in Singhampton, uh, just up. Uh, oh near, yes. Yeah. And, you know, she's, she went to the U of T and she's well-traveled and worldly, but sometimes, you know, she's like a Gray County girl when she starts talking. And I, I, when I heard your voice, I thought, yeah, Collingwood, Gray County, that's probably where he's from. And so. Oh yeah. Yeah. As, 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 yeah, as Collingwood as you can get, like I was raised on the main street back when there was a, 
the whole other can of worms but back when there was a downtown you know when on friday nights all the business owners you know and their kids would be on the would be on the street we'd be playing and and you know and just just when the when the community was a community and the retail community in particular in downtown Collingwood, I mean, I was, I was, I was brought up stocking shelves when I was, uh, I remember, you know, operating the price gun when I was like five or six and, you know, uh, uh, um, Friday nights, everybody, all the store owners of the families would go downtown to run their businesses. And those days we were open to nine on Friday nights and, 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 you know, my brother and I would be in and out of the, out of the stores downtown playing you know, GI Joe or cops and robbers or whatever. And, uh, um, like that was just, that was just the way it was. in in, in those days it was, uh, it was, uh, a fun, it was a fun experience. Yeah. That's- uh, not- way anymore yeah Collingwood certainly changed that's true my my wife Joe remembers it as being a gritty uh uh ship in fact I think she even saw one of the last side launches when she was a little girl and uh, there's no trace of the shipyards now it's all so gentrified isn't that goodness yeah yeah, yeah it's all, all gone the frame development grew up down there yeah, yeah. I can remember uh, watching you know we'd stand in the middle of the main street would come out of the front of the stores and we'd stand in the middle of the the main street and watch the ships launch and then sometimes they would side launch and if they had a big displacement the water would actually wash up across um huron street just at the foot of the main street wow uh, uh, yeah i mean they, they used to let they used to let i think that was probably before my time but they used to let the kids out of school so they could go downtown they always launched at noon so mm-hmm. we would come we would come downtown from the school well, I would get out at lunch, but but come downtown from the school, watch the ships launch, and then go to McDonald's on the way back up First Street, go back to school. <laughs> so that was Collingwood in those days. Very cool. So there's uh, for those of you who are listening from outside Ontario, folks, there's a little Ontario history for you. Um, Joe, you've been a, a really great sport, and, and one thing we're going to ask is for you to come back uh, uh, for a future episode from their chat. Um, a couple of things. Yeah, a couple things I'd be interested in in hearing about is uh, you mentioned uh, in your last live stream uh, you, you've done a little bit of uh, 3D printing, and I'd I'd love to chat with you more about where you see that in terms of the oh, sure. where that's going to take the hobby. And of course, now that you're you've joined the Napoleonics fraternity, because uh, I really I was watching your Vitrix uh, unboxing video and so uh, so excited. <laughs> yeah, look at it all! Look at it all there. Yeah, so, some people call it the pile of shame, but I, I call it the pile of glory. But uh, yeah. yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's the uh, pile of potential. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it's not it's not shameful to have it. it. It's it's think of all the think think of all the um art that all the art all the things that are yet to be created that that will become that don't exist now that will later be you know. Maybe people will enjoy looking at them. I'll certainly enjoy making them, right? So, well, we'll look forward to following that because James and I have a huge, uh, uh, huge heart for Napoleonics gaming. So, one well, of you things- guys have yeah. had a play actually oh, at yeah. some point in time because because I, I'm I'm I, I'm having trouble wrapping my head around the the, the uh, black powder. Well, whichever rules I've got, absolute emperor too, but I've been I haven't read it yet because no. I'm trying not to damn my brain up take absolute emperor joe and mm-hmm. put it put it in that big blue box that the city gives you it's 
Yeah, it's it, yeah. There are so I'm many better. A fan. <laughs> there, are, there are so many better rule sets. Um, well, we'll just we'll just skip that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've been having a lot of fun with um, uh, Sam Mustafa's uh, LaSalle rules, oh, yeah. uh, and then the larger scale uh, Blucher, particularly the smaller scale miniatures, is is cracking good fun. And then James and I are also fans of uh, General Darmay from Two Fat Lardies. And yeah, and of I've, course, I've, sharp practice. I've got the sharp practice rules, but I don't have the cards, so I don't really understand. Your it. Own. Well, if I knew what was in the card deck, then I would. Oh, but, um, it's you have a a card for every leader, mm -hmm. and you have a tiffin card, which ends the turn, and then you have um, command cards, like uh, the command cards, which are generally about four per side. If you have more than 10 groups, I think you get a fifth one. Yep. And that's kind of all you need. Yeah. Mm. You can make those. Well, uh, I'm going to let you guys like I'm going to let you guys shape my, my Napoleonics future. I've already decided that. <laughs> I need to I need to oh, you're doomed. Doomed. It seems to me, it seems to me that you guys have an absolute, absolute wealth of knowledge and wisdom when it comes to these things and and uh and so uh so we're still uh, novices we will, uh... yeah well <laughs> we'll maybe like for, for the napoleonic period i've really only um been deeply into it this past year oh really okay yeah i mean i started well, with i started with it years ago like when as a kid you know mm -hmm. switching from playing with toy soldiers to wargaming um mm. And then I kind of got away from it. And now I've come back to it full circle. Uh, and yeah, and just sort of, it's, it's only been in the past year that I've really been starting to deeply dive into the history and, and such. Well, I've been like, I've been enjoying the, the, like learning about it myself, learning about the historical period. And then any, you know, any unit that, that is, that's a dragoon, a French dragoon, but mm -hmm. any unit, where, where the troops are dressed like Christmas trees is pretty cool. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, it's it's all about the hats like, why would, in Napoleon. Why would you dress like that? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, like, if you're going to go to war and get maimed, you might as well be stylish when you do it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, right. I, uh, I I play uh, a little bit of uh, I play a little bit of airsoft with uh, an airsoft crew out of Barry. Uh, not not. Um, games a lot guys but but uh, a different group and uh, you know we go and we you know i'm gonna put on my camouflage because it seems sensible but but mitchell keeps threatening that one day he's gonna go and he's gonna wear like napoleonic type colors when he goes <laughs> <laughs> you'll get lit up but you can certainly dress like you know you're gonna wear like a sky blue jacket and a red tunic and and you know bright red pants or something it's like yeah you just go do that yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, you know I guns are that only, that only works if everybody's dressed that way. Yeah, well, I was painting some Bavarian Jaegers last year, and you know, it's like, you know, painting, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, like nice, sensible gray trousers and nice, sensible, you know, dark green jacket and black leather. And then on the front of their helmet, they've got this big brass crest. Yeah. It's yeah, like, yeah. okay, <laughs> let's just let's undo everything. 
cover That's and concealment. It was like yeah. shape shine shadow or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Shoot me, shoot me here. Yeah, yeah. But you know they look great. <laughs> A yeah. hat that's designed to make you look as tall as possible because you, you wouldn't dare find a bush or a wall or something. Exactly. That, would, that wouldn't yeah. be family. Yeah. So, Joe, before you go, we have uh, a favor to ask. So we have, yeah. this is something I've stolen from um, a British guy called Sean Clarks from his podcast, uh, God's Own Scale. It's a great podcast. Um, we have what we call the Canadian Wargamer uh, podcast virtual library. So we ask everybody to uh, recommend two books. It could be a Canadian, could be just a book you love. It could be about military history or wargaming or whatever. So what have you got for us, Joe? Well, I'm uh, sorry. I don't think there's Canadian authors involved. It really should be. But so the first one I grabbed uh, that I've been referring to a lot recently is Creating a Napoleonic Army mm. by Peter Morby. So... The Never thing is, that. and it's um, the work. The work in it is um, okay, but he gets into the corners when it comes to when when it comes to answering questions about the small details. And from the point of view of me, you know, like I'm I'm I I'm one of these people that tries to be accurate i won't i won't you know i won't sacrifice the fun of painting for for trying to get something realistic but i want to get it mostly realistic so you know what you're looking at mm -hmm. and the book is written with that in mind so the book is written with that in mind and i really really appreciate it because from the point of view of like a complete amateur at napoleonics it really helped me get on my feet cool. so so i quite like that one creating a napoleonic war game army 1809 to 1815 by Peter Morby. And then, um, you know, because I'm mainly a World War II guy, I, uh, I have, you know, so many books I could recommend, but this series here, the, um, the Fighting Man series, so Fighting Man of World War II, and then there's separate books in the series, there's Axis and Allied Forces. Um, and it's David Miller is the name of the author. This book is great because it gets, um, it's full of physical artifacts, like things that, that most authors will, will, you know, gloss over. It's like, oh yeah. And then there was a canteen on that belt and, and off, off you, you know, and then next, yeah. but it's like, well, that belt was brown until 1943 and then it was black. And then the canteen was gray until this date. And then it was, you know, then it was Dunkle Gelb. And then they ran out of Dunkle Gelb and it was just primer. And, you know, like it answers the questions that it answers the questions that probably only serious war gamers want to know. Mm -hmm. but, yeah, when you're, you're but, you've, you've got the figure in your hand and you're painting and you go, what is that? What am I looking oh, at yeah. here? You know? Oh, for yeah. sure. Exactly. Exactly. Actually, that this 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 book I did that just in particular because I was painting um, Mitchell's British. Uh, it was painting his British cannon that comes with the uh, one with the, the one um, black powder set, and uh, I got down to painting the cannon, and I'm like, I have no idea what color the carriage is. Like, I don't. What color? What color is a cannon carriage? A British cannon carriage in, in 1815? I. Does anybody know that? I don't know that, uh, but there it was in the book. Like, oh, bluish gray. Okay, fine, done. <laughs> so, 
So, you know, it's just one of those one of those things that only war gamers worry about. Mm-hmm. Anyways, um, hopefully that answers your questions for the books. Um, I do have to go get Mitch. Um, anytime you guys want to grab a hold of me, just contact me through Facebook. I'd be happy to participate in the uh, in the podcast anytime you want. Yeah, um, that's great. You might, I was just going to say, we'll, we'll put links to uh, your your Etsy store and your YouTube channel in the notes for this podcast. And uh, yeah, we will uh, we will follow you with great interest, my friend, and uh, we'll we'll chat again. Thanks a lot. I'll be out there in, until I hear from you next time. I'll be out there listening to you guys. So so I really really appreciate it. And it's great what you guys are saying. Like there's the, the Canadian wargaming community is a group of amazing people, but we need glue to hold us together. And I really appreciate the time that you guys put into it to committing to be at least part of that glue to to help to help bring us all together oh. and uh, you'll nice. see me unless i get struck by lightning uh you'll see me at uh you'll see me at hot lead with bells on and we'll uh we'll do Definitely. some awesome stuff. all right oh, cool okay. thanks all right have a good day, guys thanks hey, a ton. we'll see you bye okay, bye super nice guy yeah uh, i i really like the way he you know a- approaches the hobby from an artistic perspective yeah, which yeah. is kind of neat. Um, you know, most of us come at it from history, or we come at come at it from the com, you know the game playing part of it, and the art comes second. Uh-huh. Whereas he's you know coming at it from an artist and using this as his medium, and you know, like most of us, we learn a painting technique and that works for us, and we just keep with it. Yep. You know, whereas he's like, oh, yo, I got to learn a new painting technique, or you know, a new you know new new material to learn how to to work with you know like i'm not going to bother trying to learn how to paint with oils like why like i got a thing going i don't want to slow down my production of russian musketeers here because i've got five billion of them to paint <laughs> yes you're one one australis project or yeah. dino please or dino. <laughs> well actually leipzig there's going to be austrians there too yeah yeah that's true and um I mean, for example, when I watched his live stream on basing, uh, I was reminded of when I sat down with a, a mutual friend of ours, Kirk Doherty, about, geez, 15 years ago, easily, uh, maybe 20, because I always admired Kirk's basing and mm-hmm. taught me how to do it. And I, I took notes and I've been following those notes religiously for 20 years. And they've served me well. But um, when I watched Joe doing basing, I thought, oh, there's a few things I could learn. Mm hmm. Uh, yeah, it's been about using using the uh, isopropanol to to speed up the drying of things. Yeah, exactly. Um, or using uh, Mod Podge instead of white blue white glue, which uh, mm. I think I'd heard of Mod Podge, but I'm going to have to go to a, an art store or go to the art section of Walmart. God help me. And uh, uh, Michael should have it. Should be able to buy it in like big giant jars. Yeah, you're right. Michael should have it. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, it was a great interview. Uh, just a super, super nice guy. And uh, he's right around the corner from me and not that far from, from you. So yeah. next yeah. time I next time I get up there, uh, you know, we'll have to have him, him over too. Yeah. One thing I didn't get a chance to tell Joe, because uh, I was thought I was complimenting his ego enough as it was, <laughs> but his painting is really nice. Like he has a few um, uh, shots of uh, some mm-hmm. 
Warlord Napoleonics, and they are very, very nice. He's a pretty talented painter as well. Yeah. So I hope he does some uh, how to paint videos. Speaking of how to paint, have you watched any of that guy um, uh, in Germany, that Sonic Sledgehammer guy? Have you watched any of his videos? Um, no, no. I really should. I, I, I should look at. I, I keep telling myself, you should go look at his video on how to do yellow and how to do white because those are very difficult colors. Yeah. Like if anybody says, you know, is bragging about, you know, what a great painter they are, I always say, well, show me your white. Mm -hmm. Right. Like. If, if you can't paint a really good, you know, white subject, you know, whether it's a, whether it's a Warhammer battle Titan thing or, uh, you know, Saxon Grenadier from 1813, like, if you can't do the white convincingly, then get the fuck out. You, you don't, don't try and tell me you're a great painter. You're, <laughs> you're, you're a competent painter, but you're not a great painter. Right. Like, white is what separates the the real geniuses from the rest of us. I mean, yeah. my whites are shit. So, yeah, I know which I know which side of that line I'm going to stand on for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He had a uh, on Twitter the other day. He had a an American GI that he'd painted. It was like a, yes, it was amazing. And he talked about how he was using um, little bits of uh, off white ivory. I think he called it. Yeah as part of the uh, highlighting and i thought wow that's really impressive so and he's I another guy a... who's you know from the artist perspective right yeah exactly and it's one of those things like we were saying with joe it's one of those uh venn diagram things where you think okay i've got you know whether it's history collecting um painting gaming um how much energy do i have to put in one of those four buckets yeah mm -hmm. I try to spread myself evenly, but I, I like to know my limitations, but I still want to improve. Well, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So great conversation with Joe. I don't know who we're going to talk to next uh, month, but I have some ideas and okay. uh, yeah. well, that offline. All right. So the Canadian content corner, we'll cue the music. Bump, 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 bump. So yeah, we talked last time about the Canadian content corner and why do we have a Canadian content corner on a, a podcast where the whole thing is, um, is Canadian and you know sometimes James I think are we cutting ourselves off from a, a wider audience by just being you know Canadian focused um, and I think to myself no I don't think we are I, I know if somebody in somebody in the UK wants to listen to us natter then I'm I'm tickled pink and uh, hopefully they'll learn something and well and and we've got our you know we've got our little beaver lodge to to um, stake out yeah. wave our flag from and got to talk about what we know right yeah i i can't go to salute right no. it's just not in the budget i'd like to oh boy yeah, Duh. yeah. um you know it's like if we ever got to england it'd be like the wife would be like why do you want to go to nottingham well think about it <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah can we just go to nottingham for a little bit please yeah um, and like, I'm not, it's going to be the rare opportunity to get to go to the big American shows and stuff like that. So it's just like, we're, we're talking about our own little corner in the woods and waving the flag proud. So, yeah. Adding well, in. Yep. So I'm just looking up something as we, uh, okay. Talk. Um, but yeah, waving the flag, I totally agree. 
I mean, that's kind of what we're doing. And I think um, I would like to see somebody like a Joe Saunders get a wider audience. Uh, and uh, he does in the sense that, you know, anybody who um, anybody who follows uh, Battlefront knows about him, I'm sure, because they see his his stuff showcased. Yeah, how many people look at the look at the artist's credits though? You know, when they, they've got their shiny book, rule book and they're drooling over the pictures and it's all being very inspiring. You know, how many of them think to go look, you know, oh hey, this you know, terrain on, on page 45 is credited to Joe Saunders. Oh, look, he's got a YouTube channel. Right? Yeah, yeah, that probably probably doesn't happen a lot. No. No. And it's funny, I, I was listening to uh a podcast in the states called anything but a one i think i've mentioned them here yeah. before they're three american guys and uh one of them i think tom castanios i think he's the lead guy was talking to um one of the guys behind cigar box uh, battle mats mm-hmm. and um i don't know about you but i've i've looked at them in the past and thought uh they look really really nice i think the specificity of them has put me off a little bit because you know if you buy a map for I don't know, um, Battle X, um, is it so specific that you can't use it for something else? I think obviously it isn't. You can put whatever trees and stuff you want on it, but it's nice product and I haven't committed to it. But the point that uh, they were making in the conversation was that if you don't want to go the battlefront route and you know sculpt um, uh, fiberglass and build a battle board um, because you don't have room to store it, then obviously a mat that you can you know, crumple up and throw in a backpack on your way to gaming night somewhere is the way to go. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I've still got my olive drab felt. Yeah. Which serves me fine. Every once in a while, I think, oh, maybe I should like splotch it up with, you know, some spray cans. Yeah. And just vary the, vary the color a bit. But, you know, like, I mean, you know, as people say, once I, you know, once I put that in the fields and, and some lichen and, and all that kind of stuff, it breaks it up. So. For sure. And you, know. you and you do put a nice table together. Um, I do try to lay a good table, just yeah, like, you know, yeah. just like a Manhattan hostess. <laughs> Except you know, mine's got little plastic soldiers instead of canapes. And there Chateau Pape de Neuf, you know. Like. Yeah, I'm trying to think of you in a black pencil dress, and it's not working. Fortunately, uh, so, I well, you know, if I'd have to shave my legs. Oh, okay, now you're now I'm thinking about it. Uh, okay. <laughs> Medium Content Corner. Well, that is, of course, the Maple Leaf Forever, the old national anthem of the Old Dominion. And it marks the start of the Canadian Content Corner. That's the part of the podcast where James and I just have a bit of a natter about Canadian military history, about Canadian gaming, or just general Johnny Canuck stuff that makes us darn proud to have maple syrup coursing through our veins. And so as the Maple Leaf Forever, played by Her Majesty's Irish Guards, dies away, here is the Canadian Content Corner. talked last time about the Canadian content corner and why do we have a Canadian content corner on a, a podcast where the whole thing is um, is Canadian and you know sometimes James I think are we cutting ourselves off from a, a wider audience by just being 
you know, Canadian focused. Um, and I think to myself, no, I don't think we are. I, I, I know if somebody in somebody in the UK wants to listen to us natter, then I'm I'm tickled pink, and uh, hopefully they'll learn something. And well, and and we've got our you know we've got our little beaver lodge to to um, stake out, yeah. wave our flag from, and got to talk about what we know, right? Yeah. I I can't go to salute, right? No. It's just not in the budget. I'd like to. Oh boy, yeah. Duh. yeah. Um, you know, it's like if we ever got to England, it'd be like the wife would be like, Why do you want to go to Nottingham? Well, think about it. <laughs> you know, right? Yeah, can we just go to Nottingham for a little bit, please? Yeah. yeah. Um and like I'm not it's gonna be the rare opportunity to get to go to the big American shows and stuff like that. So it's just like, we're, we're talking about our own little corner in the woods and waving the flag proud. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, waving the flag. I totally agree. I mean, that's kind of what we're doing. And I think um, I would like to see somebody like a Joe Saunders get a wider audience. Uh, and uh, he does in the sense that, you know, anybody who, um, anybody who follows, uh, Battlefront knows about him, I'm sure, because they see his his stuff showcased. Yeah, how many people look at the look at the artist's credits though? You know, and they've got their shiny book, rule book, and they're drooling over the pictures, and it's all being very inspiring. You know, how many of them think to go look? You know, oh hey, this you know terrain on on page forty five is credited to Joe Saunders. Oh look, he's got a YouTube channel, right? Yeah, yeah, that probably probably doesn't happen a lot. No. No. And it's funny, I, I was listening to uh, a podcast in the States called Anything But a One. I think I've mentioned them here yeah. before. They're three American guys. And uh, one of them, I think Tom Castanios, I think he's the lead guy, was talking to um, one of the guys behind Cigar Box uh, Battle Mats. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know about you, but I've I've looked at them in the past and thought, uh, they look really, really nice. I think the specificity of them has put me off a little bit because, you know, if you buy a map for, I don't know, um, Battle X, um, is it so specific that you can't use it for something else? I think obviously it isn't. You can put whatever trees and stuff you want on it. But it's nice product, and I haven't committed to it. But the point that uh, they were making in the conversation was that if you don't want to go the battlefront route and, you know, sculpt... Um, uh, fiberglass and build a battle board um, because you don't have room to store it then obviously a mat that you can you know crumple up and throw in a backpack on your way to gaming night somewhere is the way to go um, yeah, I mean you know I've still got my olive drab felt yeah which serves me fine every once in a while I think oh maybe I should like splotch it up with you know some spray cans yeah and just vary the vary the color a bit but you know like I mean you know as people say once I you know, once I put down the fields and, and some lichen and, and all that kind of stuff, it breaks it up. So for sure. And you, know. you and you do put a nice table together. Um, yeah, I do try to lay a good table. Just yeah. Like, you know, yeah. Just like a Manhattan hostess. <laughs> Except, you know, mine's got little plastic soldiers instead of canapes. And there Chateau Pape de Neuf, you know. Like. Yeah. I'm trying to think of you in a black pencil dress and it's not working, fortunately. Uh, so- I, well, you know, if I'd have to shave my legs. Oh, okay. Now you're now I'm thinking about it. Uh, okay. 
Medium content corner. Um, hey, we got some laughs. We're going to get some laughs from our from our audience. I hope so. We should get a laugh track for sure. Uh, <laughs> I learned something about a battle I've never heard of before. Uh, the Battle of Kapelshavir. Um, is that name? Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, the win winter forty four to forty five. Yeah, you know, a little a little, um, a little pimple of Germans holding out on the front. Yeah, exactly. It, it was kind of surrounded by a water feature of some kind. So oh. it was like almost impossible to, for them to, to, and they, they, you know, obviously the, the thing is you, you cross, you cross the river on either side, pinch them off, pinch off their supplies and starve them, but they couldn't Yeah, as the front um, it would have involved general offensive. So yeah, they're trying to pinch this off and it was, yeah, like Canadian troops and from the Lincoln and Welland Regiment and cute little white camo suits and canoes that they brought over from Canada. Yeah, yeah, you know all about it. Yeah, uh, it's, it was totally new to me. I, mean, I learned about it because uh, I was watching the World War II TV YouTube channel with Paul uh, with um, not Paul uh, Paul Woodage, mm -hmm. and he had a Dutch uh, historian and tour guide on by the name of I think it was Edward Popkin was his name. So he, he lives in the area and he knows it really well and uh, does tours of, you know, battlefront tours of North, that part of Holland and Western Germany. So they were talking about it and uh, I thought it was because it happened in January, late January. Um, so yeah. almost, almost to the day that we started our podcast, but a week or so off. Okay. Absolutely hideous battle. Um, I, I was just I was just mesmerized by it. So the Canadians go in. Fourth uh, Armored Division goes in where um, the uh, Royal Marine Commandos have tried and uh, failed, and where uh, Polish Armored Division has tried and failed. Um, and they're fighting over, like as you said, between two water features. Um, it's basically an island, uh, a crazy little German pocket on the south side of the the Moss River. Um, I think it's uh, that's is that how the Dutch pronounce the Meuse? Same river, anyway. It's that river that kind of winds north of Eindhoven, um, close to the German border in the northwest corner of Holland. And the crazy thing about it is that uh, really you have to wonder, like, why not leave those Germans there, right? Like, they're not really a threat, except that they're on the wrong side of the river. They've got this beachhead on the wrong side of the river. The Allies knew that the Germans had a plan if um, the Ardennes offensive had been successful that the Germans in Holland were going to try to break out and assist the the German armies heading for Brussels and Antwerp. Not that that really happened, but. Mm -hmm. Well, and you also got to, um, they're prepping for, um, oh God, it's escaping me. Veritable. Yeah, Operation Veritable. Yep, yep. So, you know, like you got to tidy up the front. Yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, you've got a monkey looking at his map, sees his bump in the front line, and goes, "Yeah, hey, I don't like that." I don't like that. No, and what was crazy about the battle was the amount of just the sheer amount of ordnance and supplies and resources that were dedicated to this. So, um, about time. Yeah, considering <laughs> the lack of lack of resources dedicated to clearing the channel ports and the Scheldt estuary. Yeah, yeah, and heard, uh, I'm looking at you. Yeah, and the, the poor bloody Poles and the uh, the Royal Marines who tried previously and were very, very under-resourced. You know, the, the I, I had no idea that the Poles, for example, by that point, the, the Polish army and fighting with the Allies was taking Polish POWs that had been forced to fight for the Wehrmacht uh, once they were captured and 
putting them in battle dress and then uh, filling their ranks because they obviously didn't have a pipeline of, of yep. uh so you know by early 45 the polish formations on the western front probably aren't as effective as they were say you know in normandy uh the royal marines are so depleted that they give them a, a company of norwegian commandos who didn't speak a lot of english so those two attacks didn't work very well so the canadians go in and they've got uh they've got artillery assets from the first and second infantry divisions canadian infantry divisions you know they've got agra artillery they've got you know mountains of shells mountains of smoke they had so much smoke that they had to stop firing it because the the infantry were choking to death when they started their assault um and then as you said they had these they had time to you know put uh guys in canoes so think about this james you're you're in a canoe uh, on a frozen river uh, you've got ice flows that are bumping you um, uh, to the wrong side of the bank, and when this and and you're getting fired on from the north side of the bank when the smoke lifts and the Germans start seeing you. Um, you've got all your kit on. You don't have a flotation device, um, and the water is like sub-zero. So, yeah. you know, geez, unbelievable. And I don't think many of them actually made it uh, through that battle. And then, as you said, the links and wellens with the. Uh, Links and links with the uh, Argyle and Sutherlands go in, and in uh, three or four days, where you know a company will go in one day and it's absolutely chewed up at the end of the day. Just unbelievable. I thought it would be a great O group scenario. Mm. Somebody like Brian Hall could run with that for sure. Um, I bet he could. Yeah, and uh, it would be an interesting piece of terrain to model and, and all sorts of possibilities because the Germans had um, tunnels, uh, you know, underground um, access points between their various strong points so you know they were always popping up when you thought you cleared a position and yeah, yeah. amazing stuff uh i just can't imagine you know lying out in the mud and snow for three or four days being absolutely cold and getting shot at and yeah uh, i don't even like shoveling my walkway <laughs> so you know yeah we went for a 30 minute walk today and about minus 15 and that was enough for me so i was quite yeah. happy to home yeah. And I, yeah i look at the weather and say glad i'm not an outside worker yeah. So I recommend that. I'll put a link to that in the um, in the show notes. And then uh, I wanted also just to mention that uh, we mentioned Mark Zolke uh, a little while ago because Capel Shavir is in um, one of Mark's books on the Holland campaign, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. I can't remember if it's Terrible Victory or Forgotten Victory. Yeah. Um, or maybe, no, or On to Victory. Yeah. Okay. I those are books. Actually, I'm afraid to say I don't have yet in my collection. It's in the Victory trilogy. Okay. And uh, he was on talking to uh, James Holland and um, Al Murray on their We Have Ways pod, uh, oh. podcast. Uh, so they, they and he basically talked about uh, Holland and he went over some of the ground we did uh, with uh, um, uh, Brad and with uh, Brian when we talked about uh, the the movie the the Valkyrie movie. Um, oh, uh, the forgettable movie. Yeah, the forgettable movie. <laughs> That's a good name for it. Uh, yeah, and I, I almost did a review on my blog titled that. Well, I look I, that would be a hoot. I would look forward to reading it. <laughs> I'd have to watch the movie again. Yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, so anyway, uh, and it was really interesting because, uh, you know, Al and James are very, very interested in uh, the Canadian contribution to World War II and are quite happy to uh, admit as Brits that it's a story that they they could know better and um, I think some of the American listeners to both of those shows were chiming in and saying wow I didn't know any of this so I recommend 
recommend those two, and I'll, I'll put them in the show notes. Um, oh, and just as a final comment about Canadian stuff, um, our friend Benito, mm-hmm. who, uh, Annabelle, as he calls himself, who's a friend of the podcast and a listener, are one of our only listeners in Spain, has just been killing it on the Analog Hobbies uh, painting challenge, James, with his uh, Canadian infantry. Uh, yes. He has been painting yes. up some just amazing uh warlord uh 28 mil figures i know i've been i've been um liking those a lot yeah he's got the battle dress down just so he's uh i mean he, yeah he's a very very skilled painter yeah so yeah. benito well done canadian wargaming podcast gives you uh, two thumbs up and a beaver so yeah <clears throat> not sure what you're gonna do with a beaver in an apartment in madrid but uh, i hope you take it for walks so oh, yeah the beaver's on the way so that's, uh, that's the Canadian content for this week, a very short one. Uh, so after the music, we're going to get back and talk about uh, what we've been doing. Okay. Okay. What have you been doing, Mike? I heard the printer whirring away. Yeah, yeah. So I have, uh, in our last podcast, James, I said I was going to learn how to uh, 3D print if it killed me. And uh, I I had some false starts. Uh, I had a machine that uh, didn't work. And the folks in China sent me a uh, a replacement uh, LCD screen, which are the all basically the bright lights that flash as the program talks to it and uh, cures the resin. And I have been able to, I got it working. I was, I'm not a mechanical guy. I uh, was quite nervous when I took it apart and followed the YouTube instructions, but I got it back together. It works and I can now do, so I'm holding up. So this is, um, this is just some sort of steampunk uh, accessory for, I'm holding it up to the microphone folks. So you guys listening can ooh and ah. It's a steampunk thing that you'd find in a mad scientist laboratory because uh, for the analog hobbies thing, I'm just putting a little vignette together for, uh, um, Bob Murch's uh, Triumph of Frankenstein set. Mm. Just a little. Uh, a that little... looked appropriately. That looked appropriately um, pointy and gothic and. Yeah, gratuitous, and gratuitous knobs and pipes. Gratuitous knobs and pipes. I found a, a Mad Scientist uh, operating table, uh, uh, a workbench with like you know a brain in a box and candles oh. and book. Uh, so I bought the file, printed it, and um, then I, I bought some dungeon floor tiles from some other thing. You know, the thing about um, buying STL files, it's not its not nearly as, as prohibitive as buying um, miniatures. Because first of all, they're there. You buy them. They're generally cheap. So I think I paid like $10 Mad Scientist files, downloaded them. Um, there they are. I can just take them right to my printer once I figured out how to use the slicer, which I did. And... Mm-hmm. You know, uh, two hours later, you've got a piece of kit. Uh, what you don't have is the time to paint it necessarily. Yeah. Uh, but, and then uh, another, I'm going to hold this up. This is for our very, very eagle-eyed uh, microphone watchers. Oh, it's a little tiny. Hold it still. It's a, it looks like a little tiny Austrian Dragoon. Exactly. That is a six mil Austrian Dragoon from uh, Henry Turner's. Oh, isn't he cute? Turner. I backed the whole damn thing. Uh, so I now have every single uh napoleonic stl file that henry has ever produced um oh. 
And I could so scale them up. I could scale them up to 15 mil if I wanted. I haven't figured out how to yet, and I'm not sure why. But uh, anyway, um, you know, just like that, I have a 30 man Austrian Dragoon unit in six millimeter, and just have to sit down and paint it. So yeah, 3D printing has been a big thing. I have uh, finished all of those Victrix Germans that we talked about. So this is a mm -hmm. guy, guy. I saw you had them out in the game. There's a guy blowing his horn. Oh well, good. Yep. Good job. Yeah. And uh, yeah, no, those weren't mine. Those were um, those were the store owner uh, Vincent's uh, Gauls. Oh. But I was playing the oh, Clashes. Oh right, yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. You're painting Germans, and yeah, you said it was Gauls. Yeah, well, my, my Germanic warband is done, um, all 60 of them. So I'm Very good. Time I play Clash of Spears. And then German, but slightly later. Um, Ooh. Uh, oh, you put uh, stone, card, cardstock stone? I am an idiot. The... Uh, yeah, I'm a total idiot. So all that stone is uh, little bits of uh, kitty litter box. You know what, though? Um it's painstaking but it looks the best i think it looks good yeah it looks yeah, uh, like like it, it looks it looks so much better than you know printing out paper and gluing it on or yeah. rolling with something that's going to be like because that that yeah well it looks like an old barn where somebody just got a bunch of field stone and slapped it together yeah all i, I need yeah I, I looked at that kit and and i almost bought it all i need to do now is i'm waiting for some um of the sarissa roof tiles to come and then I'm going to bung them on the this roof and finish it. It's a huge. I don't know really what I'm going to do with it, except that uh, it would work for Napoleonic's mm -hmm. Years War. Um, it would probably work for World War II on the Eastern Front. You know, like the invasion of Eastern yep. Prussia. Yeah, so, your your uh, Seven Years of Prussians will be very happy. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I've been doing. It's been a productive couple of weeks. Quite yeah. happy. I, I can't say the same. Had a few. Um, my mojo is kind of slumped a little bit. I I'm still on plugging away at phase one of my big plan uh, to finish the Bavarians. I got the Bavarian artillery train done. That looked really good. Thank you. Um, and you know, lim limbers just look cool. They do. And ammunition caissons look cool. Um. And they make your artillery take up more real estate, which I also like, because yeah. you know, like I've, I could, I've been to the, been to the, the, the Gettysburg battlefield, you know, and at the um, bit where uh, the, the bit where Pickett's charge actually got to the Union lines and they crossed the wall, and they've got that um, battery of of uh, guns set up. Yes. Yeah. You know, it was like four, four, three inch ordnance rifles and their limbers and everything and it's like you know and you look at it and you go okay now if those if there were like horse teams there and drivers and guys running around this is this takes up a lot of space uh -huh. you know so yeah. you know just having like you know, on our battlefields having like one cannon and four guys and then it's like you know you just kind of march your battalion around it and it's like well no you know a bunch of artillery's in the way so yeah um yeah and i've got uh so i finished them up and i've been read i treated myself i got this book from ken trotman books oh yes old yeah. hanau 1813 napoleon's retreat from leipzig and it's by 
Major Archibald Beck and Dr. Stephen Summerfield. Uh -huh. uh, Major Beck was, he was Royal Artillery in like the late 19th century. He retired in 1911. Okay. So he fought in the Boer War. And of course he studied artillery. He has another book on Friedland. Um, and Dr. Stephen Summerfield is a modern historian who's basically took um, Beck's notebooks studying the battle and then added on to it with, uh, they translated um, first per all kinds of first person accounts of uh, the retreat from Leipzig leading up to Hanau and then first person accounts of the Battle of Hanau. Mm -hmm. And it's all very fascinating. Um, Beck uh, suffers a little bit from, you know, the Victorian, Napoleon was a genius and everything he did was great. Right. <laughs> and everybody who fought him was stupid. You know, and, and, von, and, and von Raid was stupid. Why did he even do this? And it's like, hell, mm, you know, um, I can kind of see why Raid did what he did. And, you know, um, like basically he like, uh, I, I've been kind of working on the, you know, all oh, the Bavarians didn't, the, the Austro-Bavarian army didn't have very good intelligence, but they knew Napoleon was coming. They oh. knew he outnumbered them two to one. And they're like, well, we have to mess up his retreat to the Rhine. And he's coming through this defile in the woods. So let's park all of our artillery right in front of this defile and blast him as he comes out. That makes sounds like a good plan to me. Yeah, right? Did it work? Well, no. <laughs> but everybody's always saying, oh, well, they were stupid for trying to stand in front of Napoleon and he just brushed them away. It's like, no, it wasn't easy. Hmm. Like, um, I mean, Beck does give a lot of credit to the commander of the Imperial Guard Artillery, a fellow named General Duo. Mm -hmm. um, there's a pa famous painting of him by uh, Horace Ver Vernet, uh, sort of standing with his back to a 12-pounder while a Bavarian dragoon who is in the wrong uniform um, because he's in the 1809 dragoon uniform um, instead of the 18 1813 uniform he should have been wearing. But that's me. Don't worry. Um you know, waving, threatening him with a sword, and he's kind of giving him this defiant glare. And then a gunner is coming up to smack the guy. But anyway, that's the painting. Uh, but yeah, he 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 got he came up with a plan to get uh, the old the Imperial Guard artillery up to basically blast the Bavarians out of the way. And you know, like the the artillery, the guard was pretty scary uh -huh. you know but he he had a, he had a good plan he, he first he says okay we're going to bring out like several batteries of horse guns they'll deploy quickly engage the bavarian uh gun line in a firefight and while they're doing that we're going to bring out all the 12 pounders and get them set up and then you know open the whoop ass but, uh -huh. you know, it's like, oh, you know, and you destroyed the Bavarian. And it's like, well, no, actually, they retreated in pretty good order to the River Kinzig and kind of held on and then sort of came back and picked off the rear of the French army as it was retreating. So, you know, it wasn't as big a debacle as back argues. But that's what I've been doing and painting my last battalion of Bavarians before I move on to French and Russians until I explode. Until I explode. 
Sorry, what was the name of the uh, the the older gentleman who, who was one of those two authors, the first author? Major Archibald Beck. Archibald Beck, right, right, yeah. I was reminded as you were talking of um, a book that I have written by a, probably a contemporary of his guy called F.N. Maud, mm -hmm. who was another Victorian, well, he was a late Edwardian Victorian. Yeah, yeah, this guy was too. Yeah, he wrote a book on the Olden Campaign, uh, 1805. And hmm. yeah, there's a lot of good writing going. Like, I mean, I've got, um, oh gosh, what's his name? Perry. Uh, or Petri. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Petri, Petri's uh, book on the uh, 1813 campaign. Yeah. He's writing around the same time. There's a lot of people doing a lot of really hard, you know, digging through archives and, and reports and, you know, diaries and stuff. Yeah. Digging all this stuff out. So. Uh, and maybe the historiography wasn't cutting edge, but uh, Maud, for example, had access to the, the French official histories. And, you know, sometimes he uh, he's quite critical of them. But um, hmm. the other thing that's really interesting about those guys is that they're, you know, they're almost as close to the Napoleonic Wars as uh, soldiers today are to the Second World War. Yes. Uh, or at least to the First World War. So if you're in staff college today, you're looking, you know, you're looking at World War Two or World War One for for lessons. I mean, these guys were looking to Napoleon's campaigns for lessons. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. Like, like you know, Major Beck, he, he worked with horse-drawn artillery. Yeah. 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 Just like, uh, just like our friend Elting, right. Who wrote Swords Around the Throne. He was, um, mm -hmm. it's not, not the most uh, praised history today because he's such a Napoleon fanboy, but, you know, as a young officer in the, the Midwest and the, you know, turn of the 20th century, he's on exercise and he's, you know, he's watching batteries cross rivers drawn by horses, right? And he's, he's a cavalry officer. So he, he knows exactly how to handle an army like the one that uh, Napoleon and his enemies handled. So. Well, and yeah, and, they, and, and certainly like they, like, like this, this Hanau book, it, I, I kind of think of it, it's, it's like a box of chocolates. <laughs> and because it's all these little, you know, like some of some of these 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 translated um, accounts are only a page long. You know, so you can kind of dip and go, oh, okay, here's the you know, whoever writing about whatever. You know, you know, we got McDonald's account of the retreat from Leipzig. Um, he's very, of course, very critical of Napoleon. Yep. Uh, which you know, I am too. You know, Beck is Beck is saying, oh, Reed was stupid. Uh, deploying with his back to a river and he's only got, you know, one avenue of retreat. Well, actually he had two. And, but, you know, oh, gee, your boy Napoleon, what was, what's he retreating from? A battle where he had his back to a river with only one avenue of retreat. Yeah. And he, and he had the engineer, he could have said, hey, we're going to set up and have a battle here in a couple of days. Build me some freaking bridges, would you guys? I need bridges, man. Put bridges along this river. You know, I got to be able to get like a core across in minutes, uh -huh. you know, but it's like, you know, people say, hey, we should build some bridges, Emperor. And he's like, oh, I don't know. I'm tired. Maybe not. Yeah. Let's sit around for a couple. Let's sit around for a day before we renew the battle and then go, oh, maybe I should have built the bridges. Yeah. You think? Like, yeah. Asper and Essling is a good example of that, of, of how he's like. Why aren't you guys across the river? Like, what's so hard about this crossing this river? Well, your majesty, you know, they're, 
it's a big river, it's flowing pretty quickly. The Austrians are putting houses in the river, setting them on fire and sending them downstream. <laughs> right. Really, really hard. He's like, what's the problem? Get me across the river. Yeah. Yeah. That's a fascinating book. I look forward to reading that. Um, so, um, yeah, you're, you're a bit of a, you're waiting to get your mojo back. You're reading uh, about the Bavarians. Mm-hmm. And you finished some pretty spiffy-looking uh, um, uh, limbers and caissons. So good on you, yes. mate. And and I and I did the uh, infantry regiment number five, um, Saxon Saxon Bergen. I don't know, can't remember. It's a mouthful of a name. Um, which uh, before the 1799 reforms was infantry regiment number four von Vall. Huh. which is a name in my family tree so oh yes yeah 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 so i said well i gotta paint those guys and they have really cool yellow facings so you have to paint them yeah absolutely have to. this is by the way is why i do napoleonics in six millimeter <laughs> oh. yellow facings yeah there's a yellow facing there somewhere i think maybe well you know i mean most of my like yeah i mean most of my bavarians it's you know red facings red cuffs red collars just red and blue whatever you know but it's like, well, these guys are not going to be in the sharp practice thing. So they're just going to be a battalion, you know, a foreign battalion for big battles. I will do a regiment. I will do some regimental distinctions, especially since, you know, I've got the big book of the Bavarian army. Um, I might as well use the information. Yeah. Speaking of being back. Uh, blah, 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 blah. I did that out. Thought, no, I'm going to leave it there just because it's. Yeah. <laughs> Editing is hard work. Speaking of, and besides, I don't know if anyone's listening at this point. Speaking of big battles, I just wanted to give a little plug for uh, LaSalle 2. Oh, okay. I've been playing it at home for the last uh, four Ooh. or five weeks. Uh, just playing a turn here and there. Um, mm-hmm. I'm very, very impressed with it. It's uh, it's an interesting game. It's um, uh, The turn sequence is extremely fluid, you know, so you can... You can say I'm going to move, uh, move a brigade. But if you're if you're moving within, you know, or changing formation or rallying within four baselets, you know, within close danger, close to the enemy, uh, the opposing player at that point can interrupt and say, okay, now I'm going to do something, right? And so the the turn sequence can pass back and forth. Um, How's it working solo though? Well, it, that'd be very hard to keep track of. Well, no, it's not that hard. I just do a turn at a time. Occasionally, I make notes. Um, but uh, you know, right now I've only got three brigades on the table, so it's uh, and it's a it's a sudden death game. So it's all going to come down to whether the Austrians can uh, hang on without losing one unit because their their break point is five and they're at four right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's very very clever. It's not overly complicated. The basic game doesn't put a lot of emphasis upon commanders on the field, but uh, the advanced roles, which I'll be looking at next, too. But um, yeah, and, and combat can be quite deadly. You know, you can lose uh, you can lose cavalry units in charges just like that, or you can wipe out your enemy just like that. So you have to be very, very careful about um, you know shock combat. Um, shooting isn't as deadly as as in some games, which is probably appropriate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have a lot of a lot of good things about it. We'll have to try it at some point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know I, I, how it compares to General Darme. Um, I think they're slightly different beasts, and I'm, I'll have to go back and try General Darme afterwards. And then how 
LaSalle compares to Blucher, which is for a larger game. Again, I it's been a while since I played Blucher, so well, yeah, I, I should just set something up and play it. I mean, I you know, I've got like some terrain scattered from my last attempt to play a game and yeah, I haven't really gotten back to it. Um, yeah, the table's getting starting to get cut, you know, the felt's getting pushed further and further back, and I've got like boxes of figures and and bits and you know, sprues of Russian musketeers, and and I've got Russian Ulans assembled, so that's Ooh. pretty cool. Ooh. Yeah, they'll be next once I get my last battalion of Bavarians painted, which is soon, they're they're like halfway done. Um, yeah, it'll be it'll be Russian cavalry. Now, do the Russian Ulans uh, have the same kind of um, uh, appearance as the Polish Lancers, like the Chapka and stuff? Or yeah. They do, eh? yeah. Yep, 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 yep. Um, and these will be the Vistula Lancers, or no, Lithuanian Lancers, because that's what I've got the Lance Pennants for. Right. Okay. Um, so they've got uh, oh, blue and red, blue and red uniforms. Cool. So, yeah, that's cool. Um I've liked Lancers since I was a kid. I've always just thought riding around on a horse with a stick, poking at people would be a lot of fun. It's a good way to irritate people. Though, too. <laughs> I'm poking me. I'm going to shoot you. <laughs> We're going to shoot you. Yeah. It seems like, you know, a lot easier than trying to reach down with a sword. And, you know, they're like, I guess a sword doesn't have the same reach as a, as a lance. You know, just like. No, that's true. Yeah. Songs. The thing with the lance, though, is that you're you're either going to drop it or it's going to get stuck in something, right? So, yeah. Well, and that's why you know the whole you let go after the first charge and you leave it impaled in a cossack and then you pull out your saber and you know hopefully the rank behind you is saved your neck from getting killed while you're getting your saber out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it's, it's complicated. It's, you know, it's a thing that they do. The general, the, sorry, the LaSalle rules, the only thing about Lancers uh, that I can recall is that they give Lancers a chance to reroll unsuccessful attacks uh, against infantry and square. Hmm. So I don't know if that's a justifiable Chrome, but it's kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, you, yeah, usually they, usually most rules give Lancers something on their first attack, you know, an yeah. extra dice or an extra plus one or yeah like because if they've got the long pointy sticks and then yeah then they've lost the long pointy sticks after the first attack it's so. good to have a pointy stick oh i like pointy sticks yeah well uh, we said we'd wrap up uh shortly so it's getting on for shortly um we'll cross our fingers and hope that uh the covid situation continues to improve because uh mm -hmm. Looking, it's looking encouraging for uh, for hot lead. Yes, yes, restaurants are opening up. Um, I haven't bothered looking at what the restrictions are for indoor yet, because um, I'm lazy and I hate government bureaucraties. Oh, well, if you want to eat indoors right now, you it's I think restaurants are somewhere between half to two thirds and you have to have a vaccination certificate. But I have a feeling that uh, that will all get dropped as soon as the government feels they can get away with it. So, well, yeah, I mean, you know, you got to be able to get your agenda, you know, push like open things up like they, like they've been wanting to without looking like they're giving in to these crazy truckers. Yeah. yeah. So 
So yeah, I'm very very optimistic about uh, very optimistic about hot lead and yeah. Uh, and if they if they you know say hey here we go I'm I will talk to the team and say so do we want to put the bring them by back on hmm. you know do I want to re you know as I blocked out I blocked out some tables um from my I basically took my old layout and then just blocked out some tables so give me more you know room for distancing and everything but. It'd be nice to be able to put those back in because some things are starting to get complicated and people say, oh, I want to do a game on, you know, this size of table at this time. And, you know, but, oh, and I want to be, and yeah, it's like, oh, damn it. Now I got to move people and stuff. Um, you know, so it gets very, it gets very fraught trying to, trying to juggle all the balls, especially when you have somebody, you know, if they, if they, need to be somewhere specific for, for whatever reasons. Yeah. yeah. Well, you have a lot of burly lads in red shirts who will help you with that. Well, yeah. 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 You know, and they're very, they're very good at, um, um, keeping people in line. I appreciate that. Yeah. So I wouldn't be able to do it without my, with, without my volunteers in the red shirts. Yeah. They're good guys. They are. You know, by the way, of a. Um, uh, do you know anything about can games in Ottawa in May? Nothing. I know nothing about can games, um, except that it's in Ottawa, so it'd be like, you know, it's definitely got to drive up there for you know, stay overnight, hotel, yeah. gas, and it's it, it's always on the Victoria Day weekend too. Yeah, this year May twenty second. Yeah, that's the Canada Day weekend. Yeah, so like. You know, I at my wedding anniversary is right around then. Um, Elizabeth's, you know, pretty like she's pretty keen on the garden. Yes. And you know, for our non-Canadian listeners, Victoria Day weekend is basically when the gardening season starts. That's right. Because everybody everybody does their annual pilgrimage to the garden center and buys their 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 dirt and their plants and you know their gloves because they lost their gardening gloves and all their stuff and they put in their gardens um yeah because that's basically you can be pretty confident that you're not going to have a frost kill everything yeah it's a rite of spring yeah yeah it's a rite of spring and 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 you know elizabeth's garden is very important to her and i want to be supportive and yeah so going to can games is like it's just really never been in the cards mm-hmm which is unfortunate because it sounds pretty cool. It does. I've been chatting uh, on Twitter with uh, some of our friends, uh, uh, Pat Galilland. Hey, Pat. Who's and, in Ottawa? Yeah, and uh, Titavillis. I don't know his real name, but he's another one of our Also listeners. in Ottawa. Yeah. Yep. And uh, we were talking about doing some sort of meetup there. So. Oh, well, that'd be wonderful. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm hoping to make it, but uh, we'll see. Hopefully, hoping that I'll be officially retired by then, but I'm um, not going to talk about that. So, <laughs> <laughs> I may still be working. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is. I been, will be working. Yeah. This has been fun. Um, I'm going to uh, start heading for the exits. But I thought, as we was thinking about what would our march out be, I thought, well, what finer march out than the march of the Lincoln and Welland Regiment? Very good. Seeing as they are the ones who uh, um, we've talked about tonight at Capel Shavir. Mm hmm. Ontario Regiment, part of what used to be 31 Brigade. I think it's still called 31 Brigade. Yes, it is. 
Yeah, I wore the 31 Brigade patch when I was in the Army Reserve. So, yeah. So, uh, and their march is called the Quick March of the Lincoln and Welland Regiment, the Lincolnshire Poacher. So that's a pretty good. Uh, so I'm going to say goodnight and uh, say goodnight to you, James. Say goodnight to our listeners. Good night, eh? Good night, eh? Thanks for listening, folks. And uh, here's our march out to uh, to take us out. podcast is recorded on a MacBook using Audacity software. Copyright 2022. Mike Peterson and James Mantle. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.